Hi, I'm Steve Playford, and I'm taking over today's podcast. DF King is Link Group's specialist shareholder engagement team and are internationally renowned for securing shareholder support in corporate actions. As part of this, each year, the team released their AGM season review, which looks at trends and insights from company meetings across the board. So, in today's episode, I'm catching up with David Chase Lopes, Managing Director Amaya at DF King, to ask him about some of the findings in this new report. I managed to sit down with David just as he'd come off stage at a live session with our head community of corporate governance professionals, which involved a panel discussion in front of a live audience, along with some experts from this space. This should be a good conversation, so let's hear from David. Thank you for joining us, David. Uh, you've just finished, along with a, a panel of experts, uh, presenting findings from the new DF King AGM season review. How did it go? I thought it was great. I learned a lot. The audience got the opportunity to speak with practitioners. So uh, we had Alia Fazal from BP, uh, from the, the corporate governance perspective of a company. We had Chris Couvillier, who is the head of advisory at Lazar for Europe. And we also had Jen Sisson from Goldman Sachs Asset Management. So we're able to give the audience a view of how best to engage around corporate governance issues and the AGM from a lot of different perspectives. So I think it was valuable to sort of get a best practice individuals to talk to a wide audience about what they should be thinking about, how they should approach it, what's a win, what's something to avoid. So I learned a lot, but I think as well, um, the audience valued what we had to say and we, we tried to do it so that it was a fluid conversation. Fantastic. So we're going to move on to that a little bit later, get back to the, uh, to the season review. But before we go into that, I just thought it'd be a good idea for you to uh, tell us a bit about your background and ultimately what brought you to where you are today. Oh, great. Well, thanks, Steve. Um, so my name is David Chase Lopes. I've been with the group since 2010. I'm the head of the DF King business for the EMEA region. My background, uh, effectively, I was, grew up in the United States in Massachusetts. I'm a citizen of both the U.S. and France. I live in Paris, but run the team for EMEA. Effectively, uh, I was an investment banker from 1992 to 2005, and I've been in, say, the shareholder communications business since then, and uh, I really love it because it's a neat opportunity to secure shareholder support and think about a lot of different things on the fly and be useful from a tactical perspective on a lot of uh, important transactions and stuff. So I love what I do, so it, it's fun. That comes across. <laughs> um, and, and also, could you give us a, a basic overview of what DF King do? Now, I'm going to say that my exposure to DF King was originally when I heard about them on Succession, um, when I think Logan Roy was, was getting quite angry with them. So here's the opportunity for you to maybe well, explain I, that. I, I've never been on this show, but I have worked with chairman, and I kind of know that situation. So DF King was founded in 1942 in the United States. It's the second oldest proxy solicitor in the world. We effectively secure shareholder support. It's three words, but it reads uh, very well in terms of ultimately what we're asked to do. We become involved in corporate actions, whether it be for a share or debt, um, in three or four major areas, primarily AGMs in corporate governance, but also M&A and uh, activist situations. So for example, um, typically in a year, we'll do 200 events for just the share side, not talking about the bonds. Um, my team since 2014 has done over a trillion in deal value on M&A just for EMEA. 
And um, we have a very interesting uh, activist defense capability that's been useful and kind of is the, the summit of all that we do in terms of thinking through a problem uh, from many perspectives. Sounds busy. It's neat. It's a lot of fun. We never really yeah. stop, but we enjoy it. So you know, kind of, I get a charge out of it. Fantastic. So perhaps we can just go back to the uh, AGM season review, which is being released in a couple of weeks, That's right. <clears throat> yeah. I believe. Um, could you maybe tell us a little bit about the report uh, in advance and, and what its key findings are? Sure. So one of the approaches of DF King um, was told me by another service provider when I said, well, we're not really into benchmarking. And she said, that's right, you do a lot of bespoke work. So what we tried to do on this study, as we do every year, is we really just look at the countries that were very active, and including the United Kingdom, to get a sense of what is happening locally and why, but also give color onto what uh, the practitioners believe to be the key issues. So one of the things that becomes apparent in the report is how strong UK PLC is in terms of corporate governance. Um, and if one were to focus on the remuneration policy results in 2023, which saw uh, more than 52 of the FTSE 100 present their remuneration policy, which is sort of the hallmark item of every AGM, the level of overall support on average had jumped from over 3.5% to 91.72%. And that's um, not only a fantastic result in a very policy-focused year for the United Kingdom, but on average, their peers in the EU uh, fall around 87 to 88% at best. And some of the other large economies might be at 85%, which means that you're getting better locally and maybe the toughest market, the most demanding, the most culturally in tune with corporate governance as a historic concept, but also um, in comparison to very capable and talented peers in France, in Switzerland, in Germany, for example, Belgium, you're gaining even more ground. And so to us, um, we really think that um, the UK is extremely strong that there's a sense of maturity around actors, both in terms of the expectations of investors, the way that issuers manage these, these, these concepts, the way the boards and their IRO teams and corporate secretarial teams work together to tell the board story about essentially why they're fit for purpose. Mm -hmm. And so maybe instead of going to an AGM to say, oh my goodness, I must approve the policy this year or my corporate officers won't get paid, they're telling a better story about why the board is fit for purpose and how they take decisions, and they use the more sophisticated items as proof of concept. Yep. Excellent. And, and one of the things that came up, so going back to the, to the event that we just had, the panel spoke a lot about holistic approaches to shareholder engagement. So um, uh, what sort of approaches did the panel recommend uh, to, to create more holistic engagement? So effectively, it's trying to think of corporate governance as an ongoing continuum. So you have an AGM once a year, but your governance uh, is happening all the time. So for example, if you talk to one of your investors and you say, I'm from UK PLC, most likely that individual has an idea of what they like and what they don't like about your corporate governance and your ESG stuff. Mm -hmm. So what would really be helpful is to think about how do I build up my corporate governance capital over time by engaging with them regularly, 
to understand what they want. Remember what you said the last time. Figure out what's necessary to get a yes, but also show a lot of conviction about why you're doing what you're doing. And if there's an exception to, say, best practice, that uh, you have the arguments to get into that debate and be compelling. Mm -hmm. And the other point I think that companies are realizing is telling their story isn't just to the proxy advisory community, which is vital, but also to talk to their leading investors and make it easier for people to understand why they're doing what they're doing and how it ties back to the core strategy of the group. And when you think about core strategies today, for a group, it's not only their strategy per se, but it's also their ESG strategy and how you tie those through. So we're seeing that this kind of two-way dialogue where you're learning a bit about what the investors want and the investors are telling what they see makes a more, I'd say, human relationship than to say, oh my goodness, I hope they vote for me and what do I have to do to get there? which is maybe historically what people used to think. Okay, I mean, no question. Those kind of behaviours uh, sound as though they're, they're the right thing to do. And, and, uh, and again, going back to the sort of panel, one of the questions that, that we talked to the panel about and, and the topics was the benefits of that ongoing engagement that you've just talked about. I mean, what, what did the panel think of, of that? I think they were trying to help people focus on the usefulness of discussing ongoing uh, subjects. So there is a temptation for a company to do maybe two things because they're smaller or because there's a lot of other things to do to focus on their AGM maybe the last eight weeks beforehand. But if they have a remuneration policy, if they have a specific uh, re-election of a board member, if there is a specific change in their articles or a capital increase, even if they don't know all the parameters until the spring, describing high level what they want to do in the fall or the early winter or the beginning of the year, begins a dialogue, allows the companies to listen to what the issuers think might be a good approach. Mm -hmm. And that's important because again, if one were to say this is all about trying to understand how the board takes decisions, the board can then go back to the investor or speak in a wider audience in the annual report to say, well, we talked to 15 investors. They had some issues around this, this criteria and the bonus. We had two meetings to think about it. We did some further benchmarking. We were able to tweak it a bit, but for the following reasons, we are going to keep the cap at 170%. We are going to stick with this criteria because we think it actually is in your interest. And that way, they can understand how the board made the decision. I think the other point when we think about remuneration that was very apparent in the call, that um, getting the right mix of participants is important, that while intellectually the IR team and the corporate secretariat can manage most questions, if it is a key REM issue, maybe having the chairperson of the REM committee there would be helpful. Um, if there's... Um, something that is vitally important, um, having a trio of secretary, lead independent director, and the chairperson is a great place to start. They can't maybe be in all the meetings, but on the bigger ones, it does allow, I think, for the deciders to explain what they're doing and demonstrate mastery on subjects, which are also litmus tests that the engagement before the AGM and an ongoing holistic 
engagement really fosters. Yeah. I, thought, I thought that came across in the event that we just had, the importance of getting the right people in the room. But also, uh, what, one thing that did come up uh, was uh, how important it can be to not have the wrong, or to have, not have the wrong people in the room. <laughs> I think the, the term that they mentioned was pot plant, <laughs> you know, or someone who's there who actually sh should actually be busier doing other things. Yeah. So it's, it's getting that balance right is really important. And, and one of the things we do when we run consultations or corporate governance roadshows is try to promote the presence of a board member to demonstrate gravitas, but also to align the rest of the team with experts. So if it is a REM policy year or a challenging REM report, have your comp and Ben person. Uh, make sure that the COSEC is there, the IR person who might be, might have some of their brethren on the call or might be more at ease speaking about subjects. Also, if um, you're looking to cover some ESG issues, having your specific dedicated ESG person, whether it be on the board or from executive uh, committees, is really helpful. Um, what you want to avoid is maybe a one-way conversation where you're so concerned about a specific subject that you spend 40 minutes on it instead of maybe thinking about this is what we want to do. Um, this is how the board takes decisions. This is what the board is. And by the way, we have this challenging item. Love to go over it with you, see what you need to understand. This is what we're trying to do. This is why we're trying to do it. Uh, what do you think? Why did you vote against it last year? You know, we want to get that feedback. You know, maybe you had a situation where you had 83% support for your REM report. Well, that's above 80%, but there is a little bit of fluctuation in support and going and finding out who those investors were and asking them up front, well, you know, did you understand what we were trying to do? Mm -hmm. Did we explain it well? What were you looking for? Um, we noticed that that's really helpful and, and, um, and effectively getting the right team uh, is important. The other thing is if you do have board members there, make sure they have an assigned role. So I've seen fantastic conversations where um, you've had the chairman who leads, the lead independent director who might also be uh, the chair of the remuneration committee, lay out what they're going to do on remuneration, explain the pros and cons, the logic and rationale of the decisions, conceptually their understanding where resistance might be and why, and why they think it's still worth an exception, and any specific details around timing or, de or, or numbers or quantums, you have a COSEC there. But when it comes to, I believe this is in your interest as a shareholder and as a stakeholder, that needs to be voiced by the chairperson or the lead independent director. Uh, we do have some comical situations where we have to remind a CEO that maybe it would be better to have someone else talk about what he or she is going to be paid. Mm -hmm. But that's rare. But it's really about conviction, belief, telling a story. Um, sometimes if investors are presented a common sense story about what you're doing, it's really effective. Just like most business conversations that are fueled by common sense lead to the outcomes people are seeking. They, I think in governance, you can imagine that the, the, the path isn't flat, that there are ups and downs, there are good things and bad things. But if you can explain, explain it and demonstrate mastery, the probability of getting to a yes, I think, is higher. Mm -hmm. One of the things that, that uh, 
really struck me, and, and, and uh, I remember from the, the session that we just did, was uh, this idea that, that uh, support from investors is not ad infinitum. Uh, that was the, the, uh, the phrase that was used. And uh, obviously, that's something that you must have seen some examples of where boards have said, fantastic, we're, we're, in, we're good to go, and not engaged with those same people, and been surprised probably a year later when they've come back and they're not supportive. It's very, <laughs> very true. So um, what happened last year, uh, isn't necessarily given this year. Uh, the demands on boards can grow even if they've gotten it right. Uh, don't forget, a remuneration policy becomes a payday, a remuneration report, and how a board will interpret the policy in terms of making sure that the corporate officer or officers get their money and how they get it and in what form will be scrutinized. Uh, so that's really important to sort of um, think that through and, and, and not rest on your laurels. I think the other point is ongoing engagement creates a relationship. So if you do have a bump in the road, there's a general sense of belief that exists. You're not uh, being a fair weather friend. You're not there because you have to be. You have a genuine proof that you believe in them, that you think that their role is important too and you're trying to speak to maybe more stakeholders than shareholders. And uh, essentially, uh, the other thing I've noticed is that when, in my activist defense work, when things start to weaken and unravel, the speed of change can be shocking. Mm -hmm. You can be a darling and three years later on the mat, yeah. uh, and it happens before you know it, but part of that ability to cope mm -hmm. is having an existing relationship and that you maybe made a greater effort when things were more healthy so that investors knew that you, that you were aligned. I think that's one of the biggest challenges is always alignment. Can, whatever you're doing as a board, is it aligned with their interests? And if it isn't, how do you explain this? And if the explanation holds water, well, okay, that's legitimate. If you think you're pulling a fast one or it's really hard to justify, it probably won't work, and you have to then think about um, what does that mean. So I'll give you an example. Last Christmas, uh, a client came to us with a very aggressive remuneration policy that they wanted to call an EGM to approve during the Christmas break. And we said that, first of all, this is ultra-aggressive, mm -hmm. and um, secondly, you'll be seen as a poor actor because no one's going to be around. Mm -hmm. And they decided to work with another provider who maybe didn't look at all those things, and it was one of the rare ones that didn't get approved, and the scores were horrible. Yeah. And then that creates damage about your reputation because it demonstrates the opposite of mastery of this, yeah. the key subjects and a complete disconnect with maybe the experience as, of, his, of an investor. And if you think about more societal issues around remuneration, what your community is going through and what your salaried workforce is going through. So those are things to always conceptually bear in mind. Fantastic. Uh, thank you, David. And so I'm going to ask, looking forward, what change do you think we'll see in the AGM space in the coming years? Um, I think that the relationships are going to become a bit more bespoke, that it's really going to be about your company and how you tell your story in relation to your strategy and the board. And, and so essentially what I mean by that is the items at an AGM are essentially a toolkit that allows 
general management and the board to make decisions to implement a strategy or strategies. So today is very much about your business strategy as a whole, but also your ESG strategy that is specifically intertwined with your strategy. And if an investor has 12,000 investments, how do you become a category of one and that they're gonna listen to you and when you are able to talk to them that your arguments are compelling and your mastery is sufficient for them to say, I get it and I'm gonna support you. So I think that um, it'll be about alignment. It'll be about showing that I understand your needs and that I'm evolving as a corporate, as a, as a global actor. So it could be you're a good corporate citizen, but you're not just looking at your shareholders, which is vital. Never take that out of, out of your out of, out of sight, but you have employees, you have communities, you have situations, and 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 getting that right, I think, will really matter over time, and it already does. And I think that that um, Europe and and the United Kingdom clearly have have made that shift about three or four years, even before COVID. Um, people were in tune, to quote the Who, yeah. but <laughs> you know. Um, so I think that I think there's a lot of excellent practice, so if you are an issuer, I think you can go into this conversation in a strong position of mastery and understanding that should allow you to tell an interesting story that's compelling and listen to constructive criticism in a way that will be a, will lead to an even more positive outcome. And, and, and I think that that does everything to play for and, and UKPLC, for lack of a better term, have really worked hard to do it over time. Brilliant. So I think we'll end, uh, particularly with a, with a, a quote from The Who, uh, <laughs> there, there can't be a better ending. So I'd just like to say thank you so much, David, for uh, doing this podcast, but also for conducting a fantastic session this morning, which had in our office, which was incredibly well attended and very well received. So. Super. Well, we're always delighted. We really, at DF King, try to be a useful actor to the market. We're here to help. We're here to secure shareholder support. But um, we love what we do, and we love helping out people. So, uh, Steve, it was a pleasure. So thanks so much for your time. Thanks I really so appreciate much. it. So, there you go. Some very interesting points raised. And what really came across to me was the importance of ongoing engagement. The AGM is just one meeting. The work that happens between AGMs is what affects long-term outcomes. If you found this conversation useful... Don't forget that you can subscribe to this podcast on whatever platform you're listening to us on. That way, you won't miss an upload. There's also a range of episodes available on this channel, which includes conversations with similar experts, which we hope that you find useful. And most importantly, if you'd like to access DF King's AGM meeting review, I'll leave a link in the description about where you can find this. I'll also leave some details about how you can get in touch with David and the team, as well as some information on how you can get involved in some of our upcoming thought leadership events. Thanks again for listening. Until next time.